I want to encourage you if you're watching online, you can go to our website. And I don't want you to think for a second it's about money, but we always receive a tithe and offering. Because bills have to be paid in order for things to keep going. But you can go on our website at mylakesitechurch.com. There is a link that says giving. If you click that link, it will take you through the proper steps. But if you will give, or if you're not comfortable doing that and you would want to mail your gift, our mailing address is different than our physical address. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 570, Denver, North Carolina, 28037. I'm going to say it one more time. P.O. Box 570, Denver, North Carolina, 28037. But I hope tonight that you came to hear. Thank you guys for all that you do. Y'all can uh, stay here however you want to do it. What I hope is you're tuning in tonight. I want to go ahead and tell you to turn in your word to Luke chapter 1. But I want to address something real quick. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Because the fact of the matter is, people will think what they want to think. Uh, apparently, we've raised a stink <laughs> for having church. And that's okay. The gospel is controversial. The cross is an offense. And if you're going to preach the gospel, and you're going to minister the gospel, you're going to be caught up in the middle of controversy at times. So to those who may watch, yes, we have people at our church Yes, we are gathered together so we can live stream. Someone made a comment, 30 people gathering together to live stream to 100 is not necessary. I want to tell you something. If it took 1,000 people to gather together to live stream to one, it is absolutely necessary. It's not about the number. It's about preaching the gospel. I want to encourage you to continue to remember and lift up pastors. I want to tell you something. The Lord is doing something miraculous in Denver. Not only here, but in, in other churches. He's doing something great. And we're a part of something great. And I'm excited for what he'll do. But I want to minister tonight using for a subject the remedy. Something I've ministered before. I'm, I'm getting, I've been teaching on Ephesians for the last eight weeks or so. And I feel led to go this direction tonight. And um, we know the remedy. His name is Jesus. But in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, and I will also skip ahead to 11 through 17, but beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was bearing. And they both were now well stricken in years. If you'll skip ahead to verse 11 says, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. Fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you shall have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to children, the disobedient to wisdom and of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
I want to tell you, we the church have a mandate from God. Not man, not anyone else, but to prepare the way. To make known the Savior of the world. The birth of John the Baptist took place at the end of King Herod's reign. And when you hear the term or read the term King Herod, I will get there in a moment, you see that because of failure. His dominion of Judea included Samaria, Galilee, and part of Perea. But Herod was the king of Judea. The land of promise was now ruled by an Edomite. And the temple of Mount Zion was in his possession, never should have been. At this time, Israel had been ruled some 600 years by Gentiles. Israel had rebelled, so their reign was taken away. In 2 Chronicles 36, verse 16 says, But they mocked the messengers of God and despised His word and misused His prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against His people till there was no remedy. I can tell you this, if you remove the presence of God, you've got nothing. If church becomes a series of events and a show, and you remove the presence of God, you have nothing. Nothing. Right down the street, less than half a mile from here, is a church, a large church, Pursuit Church. They've been having prayer meetings, and I've been seeing this. Praying for the presence of God to fall and to move. Praise God for it. He's blessed them with a tremendous platform, and thank God for that. And without the presence of God here, or there, or anywhere else, we've got nothing. We've got nothing. We've misused the pulpits for a place of propaganda and agenda. We've misused the the platform that the Lord has given, not us, but as a whole, the platform that the Lord has blessed us with to, to cry out for money, crying out loud, you, if you show, sow a $58 seed. I want to tell you something real quick, quick, and what I'm about to say may ruffle some more feathers, but it's okay. Seems that's the day, the day for that. Do not send Mike Murdoch or anybody else one penny. Not a penny. If you're going to sow, sow into a church that preaches the Word of God, the whole Word. Because this word of God will profit you more than just your pocketbook. I know I may catch some more backlash, but that's all right. Don't send $58 thinking you're going to get a $5 million return. Because your faith is not in the dollar. It's in Christ and His finished work. So Israel had rebelled, so their reign was taken away. They misused the the prophets, and, and then the wrath of the Lord arose against His people, and there was no remedy. They had nothing. And at the time, the power was taken away. The kings of Judah, they was taken away from the kings of Judah and was given to the Gentiles. Their rebellion was the final straw. Israel would lose everything in 70 A.D., When Titus, the Roman general, destroyed it all, they would lose it all. They would lose everything. Instead of possessing the promised land, instead of enjoying a land that flowed with milk and honey, they now wandered as outcasts. And and they wandered in the world until they became again one nation, which was formed back in 1948. And despite the failure of Israel, They will still fulfill the plan of God, finally accepting Christ at the second coming. So when we read of Herod, king of Judea, we read that because of failure to recognize who God is and who we are in Him. It is a perfect example of what you tolerate will dominate. What you tolerate will... He should have never been king. They should have never lost possession of the promise. 
But how many people in the church have lost possession of the promise? How many people in the church have lost possession of what God has promised them simply because of unbelief? A lot. So for about 400 years, Israel had sought the Lord. They had prayed, and they had, they had, but they had not heard the voice of a prophet. But the Lord will give a son to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and he will break the silence. Have you ever went a while without hearing from the Lord? I mean a day, two days, a month. You feel like, man, what in the world is going on? i got to hear from you. 400 years, but the Lord saw fit to come through come through with His promise, and the silence would be broken, and, it will, and, and, and the greatest one who had ever prophesied, who would ever walk the earth, would introduce Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, and the King of Kings. John the Baptist would introduce the remedy. The remedy. Can I tell you tonight that you, you, I, myself, we can introduce the remedy for any and every one. We've got people freaking out, riding in the parking lot, taking pictures because we've got 19 cars sitting there. And all hell has broken loose because we choose to praise God. Praise God anyhow. Praise God anywhere, at any time. Praise God. What the devil meant for evil, the Lord's already turned to good. There's been several people who already went back and watched the message from this morning and said, I done got a good dose of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're not doing anything foolish. We're not by any means uh, defying anything. But we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to preach the gospel. So for that, I make no apologies. But Zechariah and Elizabeth could trace their lineage all the way back to Aaron, who was the first high priest. It's a pretty good lineage. Even with all the hype of their heritage, they didn't put a whole lot of stock in their name. They didn't put a whole lot of stock in their name, but they rather they sought to serve God for His righteousness, not because of their lineage, but because of who God is. I want to tell you tonight, your lineage don't matter. If you do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it don't matter two cents what your last name is. Verse 6 says they were both righteous. Zacharias and, and Elizabeth were both righteous before God, walking in all commandments and Ordinance of the Lord, blameless. So Zechariah was a priest and, and he was busy with the 24 ordinances of temple service. He was a busy person. But I ever wonder if he ever thought in the midst of all of these rituals and being busy that his very own son would introduce the one who would fulfill all that he was doing. <laughs> his very own son what Zechariah, what he was physically doing, his son would introduce the one who would fulfill it all. That would make a way into the Holy of Holies. That would, that would, would tear or cause the veil to be rent, to be torn from top to bottom so that you and me could have access to the Father. I wonder if he ever thought about the blood that would be shed by the one his son would introduce would take away the sin of the world. I wonder if it ever crossed his mind because he was old. He was old. His son would introduce Jesus. By this time the Pharisees and the religious leaders had become so amused with themselves. We've got a lot of people at church that are so abused with themselves. And they praised their positions. That they thought by being a child or from the lineage of Abraham made me good. I want to tell you tonight, if you're a fifth generation church of God pastor, a fifth generation non-denominational pastor, a fifth generation assembly of God, a Methodist, a Westland, a, a Foursquare or whatever, None of that matters. What matters is that you lift up the name of Jesus and because you are does not make you good. The Bible tells us that in us dwells no good thing. I don't care who you are. But in Christ dwells all that you'll ever need. 
Their son, John the Baptist, drew attention to this, this thinking, this righteous, self-righteous thinking in chapter 3 of Luke. Verse 8 says, Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and being not, or begin not to, uh, not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. God is able to raise them up. So they didn't like when John the Baptist, uh, or they didn't like that they were being told that they needed to repent. Guess what? People still don't. What do you mean? We're in the Bible Belt. I mean, for crying out loud, there's 3,000 churches around us. What do you mean repent? I go to church. I've been to church. My name is on a pew. I mean, we've got a window named after our family. We don't, but this is the mindset of people. I bought a window at the First Zion Methodist Baptist Church of, of a Holy Spirit, if there is such a one. And that makes me good with God. No, it don't. It means that you gave money to, to, to help purchase a window. Praise God for that. Who cares? It does not make you good. We need to repent even after we've repented. I was speaking with one last night and they, they, they knew they needed the Lord. They knew they needed the Lord to move in their lives. And I asked the question, have you repented? I feel like I'm praying and it's going nowhere. I feel like it's just hitting the ceiling. And I asked the question, have you repented? Have you went to the Lord and asked Him to forgive you? To search your heart. That's not popular. And we, we oh no, oh no, Lord hears everybody. He may hear, but He's not going to move. Because the blood's got to cover. The blood has to cover. Listen, they don't like it be, being told to repent. People still don't like it. Zechariah and Elizabeth's righteousness was not self-righteousness. But it came by and from the Lord. If the Holy Spirit wrote of an account of us, if He wrote of an account of your life, what would it say? Could it say they were righteous? They were holy. They sought to do my will. They sought to live for me and to live up to my statutes. They sought to, to carry out that great commission to go ye therefore. They sought not to bow in the midst of turmoil. They sought to stand on the rock and not be moved. Could it say that or would it say they buckled? They ran. As soon as the tide changed, they ran. What would it say about your life? I'm not here for you to tell me, but I, I only, I mean, you should know. They had no child stricken in years. Very few people would have said they were blameless. Here's why. Because if you were childless in those days, something was wrong. If you didn't have children, they, the, in that day they thought it was because of punishment due to sin. But yet the Holy Spirit wanted us to know that they were righteous. That they were blameless. They were righteous. Men like to judge only by what they see. They don't know the story. They assume. They see something. They assume. They seen cars in the parking lot. They assumed we were sitting here on each other's shoulders, I guess. In confined spaces. We were all in the refrigerator, packed in together. No. You cannot live by what you see because your eyes will lie to you. <laughs> your eyes will lie to you. What you see is not always good. The green grass on the other side of the field may be because it's a septic line. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, a what do they call those things? Leech field. I don't eat that grass. Some stank grass. Woo! But it's green and it's pretty. But it's not always better. That's why it's adamant. We must seek the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Men like to judge by what they see. 1 Samuel 16 and 7 tells us God looks on the heart. And for some people that should scare you to death. Because for so long we become so good at playing the game and looking right. But inside we are a train wreck. 
It's just like a person who has cancer in their body. They don't know it first. But inside there is a different story going on than what's being portrayed on the outward. This way spiritually there is cancer, spiritually speaking, going on. As, as, as uh, Naaman, there is an infection beneath the armor. We look good. But underneath all of that we are dying. 400 years and nothing. Can you imagine? 400 years of rituals and ceremonies, but there was nothing, you heard nothing, but there was a dedicated remnant who had not forgotten. Motion creates movement, and grace always moves forward. Don't sit on your hands, don't twiddle your thumbs. When the Bible's talking about those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, it does not mean that you do nothing. Listen, in the midst of all that's going on, I mean, I don't know, next week we could be strictly 100% online, that, whatever. But that does not mean that we do nothing. We praise Him anywhere, anytime, and anyhow. Verse 10 of chapter 1 in Luke says, And the whole multitude of people were praying without at the time of incense. The presence of the Lord had covered the temple. And the time of incense was, was when Gabriel appeared to Zechariah. All of the centuries of praying, all of the prayers that had went up, all of the seeking the Lord for the Redeemer to be revealed was getting ready to take place. All that you've searched for, all that you've asked for, is getting ready to come forth. When Zechariah walked into the holy place, little did he know what was getting ready to happen, nor did the people outside. <laughs> it was the day signifying the beginning of the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the coming Messiah. John was not the Messiah, but chosen to prepare the way. What a privilege to introduce Jesus Christ, the one who will change your life, to deliver the, to deliver the captive, to heal the sick, and to make the bound free. Verse 11 says, He was troubled, and fear fell upon him, as would be us. I mean, I don't know what I would do if all of a sudden this happened. I mean, you may say, well, I wouldn't be afraid. I don't know. Fear fell upon him. He was troubled. And I guess that, that rightfully so. The spirit world is a very real world and it affects us in a positive and or a negative way. And of course, it's, if it's a negative way, it's demonic spirits. People don't believe that, but I'm telling you, everything is spiritual. Everything. There are things you don't even need to mess with. Everything is spiritual. So there are demonic spirits, but there are also angelic hosts. And if you read in 2 Kings 6, 16 and 17, or also Psalm 34, 7, it tells us that we're surrounded by angels. In fact, that's 2 Peter 2, 9, that, that we are a peculiar people. That in very itself means that, that periesios, that means that we are surrounded in essence. Encompassed around about. The angel said, fear not. Zacharias, for your prayer is heard if you go back and you translate that the greek translation implies this it was heard indicating that they had stopped praying because they were old i want to tell you do not give up on the promise of god even if it felt like it's been stripped from your grasp and maybe it has because it wasn't Really the time for that promise to be. But it may be a test to see, do you truly still believe? Don't give up on the promise of God. Even if you have, and you're seeking Him, and you're living for Him, there is a promise that will be revived. Man, yo, come on. There is a promise that will be revived. I told you several years ago, and I, I, I say this, and I don't say this lightly. I told you guys several years ago, I close my eyes and I see a traffic jam out on Pine Ridge. People out of their cars praising. Summer and I were talking the other day. I said, who knows? Maybe, maybe all that's going on with us doing service outside, maybe this is what it is. I don't know. But there's a day coming. And you can ride by whoever you are and take all the pictures you want. 
of all the people and all the cars because we are not going to stop praising the Lord. When they sought the Lord, they may have thought He didn't hear them or that He didn't desire for them to have a child. They had no explanation, only silence, but nonetheless, God did hear. You ever been through those times where you don't hear anything? You know you're seeking the Lord with all that's within you. You're crying, your eyeballs out, you're laying flat on your face, you're, you're, you're doing all that you know, and you hear nothing. And you, Lord, where are you? Lord, when will you answer? Just tell me something, anything. Every prayer prayed in the will of God is heard. John, 1 John 5, 14 and 15 tells us, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Thank you, Lord. But I want to tell you that God's time is a part of His will. And His delay does not mean His denial. His delay does not mean His denial. You've got to keep believing because God is able. Not only would they have a son, but He would be the one to introduce the Messiah. When nature is feeble, broken and dead, it's then possible for God to act in power. When the sin nature is contained or, or put in its place, when the Lord has to rule and, and reign over your life, sin does not have dominion over you. you. You're not worshiping mammon, but you're worshiping the Lord. Then God will move in, in mighty power in your life. And He says, or they say, you shall call His name John, which means grace. Jehovah showeth favor. What a name to give the one who definitely had favor to introduce the King of Kings. John 1 verse 17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We ought to be thankful for that. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says, And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. Four hundred years. They hadn't heard anything, but now the silence would be broken with the greatest prophetic voice in Israel, uh, or, or that Israel had ever heard because he introduced the long-awaited Messiah. Not only did Israel rejoice, but we still rejoice today. We still rejoice today. That we, we rejoice because of who was introduced, not because of John the Baptist, but because of who, to, who he introduced, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity to introduce, just as John did, the Messiah, Jesus, to the world. We have that same opportunity. John would be great in the sight of the Lord, but not so much in the eyes of religious folks. Because you're messing up our, our, little, our little flow. You're messing up what we had going on. Greatness from God is very seldom recognized by the world and even sometimes by the church. Many are, will, will seek to be great in the eyes of man rather than the Lord because greatness in the eyes of God produces humility, humbleness, while greatness in the eyes of man produces cockiness and conceit. When you are seeking greatness in the eyes of the Lord, you will be a servant. You will be humble. You will seek to, to gain favor of no man because God will give that to you, but you'll seek to please the Lord. I want to tell you, and I, I'm not staying here, but I, that when I first found out about this today, I got just furious. Furious that somebody would attack my family because that's what it was. And not just my personal family, you are my family. And I thought, how dare you? What kind of low-down, dirty tactic is this? But I was reminded that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Anything connected with Christ is great, 
The other prophets only saw the Messiah at a distance. <coughs> but John would personally introduce him. The greatness again was not John, but the one that he would introduce. The one that he had association with, which was Jesus Christ. John was filled with the Holy Spirit, even in Elizabeth's womb. It was and still is the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit that, that supplies direction. In that day, the Pharisees pretty much controlled the religious life of Israel. The self-righteousness was at its pinnacle. There was a hunger for the hearts of many for God and His ways, but there was very little leadership to point the way. Today, there is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. There is a hunger for the things and the ways of God. Melissa was talking about before service that when they were in Mexico on a mission trip, People would literally sit on the roofs out in the field just to hear the gospel. But we got people that will not tune in, or if they're in the house, they'll still tune it out because they got other things on their mind. Listen, we're people, but we're a people that's way too busy. There's very little leadership to point the way to those that hunger and thirst after His righteousness. But I believe that we are coming back to a place where the church, as I said this, uh, just a while ago, is rising from the ashes. That understands it's not about us. It's all about you. And if I point them to you, and I build people, and I build into your kingdom, everything else will take care of itself. The Bible says that he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, which is Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to children, the disobedient to the wisdom and the, of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I want to ask, what are we doing? They would once again cry for His righteousness. The way to righteousness has not and will not change. Israel had strayed from the Word of God, but now would return to that perfect way, or at least would be pointed the perfect way. There would be no excuse any longer. John began to preach repentance. And it had been preached before Christ would be introduced. It will have to be preached again before the second coming. And it will be done by Elijah Enoch. Luke 3.9 says, And now also the axe is laid unto the root. Now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Could what we're going through today, what we'll go through tomorrow, could this very well be the Lord getting our attention and has the axe laid to the root? Because your house will be tried and it will be tested. It will stand or it will fall. The time it came and has come to call out the loyal remnant who is ready for Christ. And we must prepare the way. As sure as Christ was born, He's coming again. But the question is, what are you doing with Him? Now more than ever, we must seek to be blameless and led by the Holy Spirit to prepare the way to make the remedy known. Who is He? To the banker he is the hidden treasure. To the jeweler, he is the pearl of great price. To the baker, he is the living bread. To the lawyer, he is the advocate. To the shepherd, he is the lamb of God. To the doctor, he is the great physician. To the lonely, he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. To the florist, he is the lily in the valley and the rose of Sharon. To the builder, he is the sure foundation, that cornerstone. To the thirsty, he is the fountain. To the lost, he is the way, the truth, and the life. To the philosopher, he is the word of God. To the carpenter, he is the door. To the gardener, he is the vine. To the astronomer, he is the day star. To the judge, he is the faithful witness. To the sinner, He is the Savior, 
to the world and to many, Jesus is just good and all they want is what they want when they need it. Who is He to you? What are you doing with Him? We read in His Word and His Word points to who He is all the way from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis, He's the breath of life. Exodus, He is the Passover lamb. We're talking about the remedy, folks. In Leviticus, He is our high priest. And in Numbers, He is the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, He is Moses' voice. And in Joshua, He is captain, Lord of hosts. In Judges, He is the lawgiver. In Ruth, He is the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, He is our trusted prophet. First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, He is sovereign. In Ezra, He is true and faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, He is the rebuilder of broken walls and lives. In Esther, He is Mordecai's courage. And in Job, He is the timeless redeemer. In Psalms, He is our song. In Proverbs, He is wisdom's cry. And in Ecclesiastes, He is our time and our season. In the Song of Solomon, He is altogether lovely. In Isaiah, He is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Prince of Peace. And in Jeremiah, He is the Lord of Righteousness. In Lamentations, He is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, He is the wheel inside of the wheel. In Daniel, He's the fourth man that's in the fire. And in Hosea, He is the king resurrection. In Joel, He's the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. And in Amos, He is the arms that carry us. In Obadiah, He is the Lord our Savior. And in Jonah, He is the God of second chance. In Micah, He is the God of Jacob. And in Nahum, He is the avenging God. In Habakkuk, He is the everlasting and glorious God. In Zephaniah, He's the King of Israel. In Haggai, He is the desire of nations. In Zechariah, He is our fountain. And in Malachi, He is the Son of Righteousness with healing in His wings. And I'm asking you tonight, who is He to you? He is everything that you'll ever need. He is everything that anyone will ever need. The remedy to this world. In Matthew, He's the King of Jews. In Mark, He's the suffering servant. In Luke, He's the Son of Man. In John, He is eternal. In Acts, He is ascended and the foundation of the church. He is the power. In Romans, He is uh, the, the who of Paul's cry. In First and Second Corinthians, He is the resurrector. And in Galatians, He's the redeemer from the law. In Ephesians, He's the head of the church. In Philippians, He is the supplier of every need. In Colossians, He is the victor and triumphant. In Thessalonians, He is coming Christ. In Timothy, He's the mediator. And in Titus, He is God and Savior. Hebrews, He is heir of all things. He is the high priest. And in James, He is the great physician. In Peter, He is the spotless lamb. In John, He is the advocate. And in Jude, He is coming for His bride. And in Revelations, He is King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want to tell you, Lakeside Church, you have the remedy for this world. Are you sharing Him? Are you sharing Him? He is everything that you'll ever need. John the Baptist had the great, great privilege to introduce Jesus. The Redeemer. Behold the Lamb of God. That take away the sin of the world. John would say, or Peter would say, Here He comes to take away the sin. What are we doing with the remedy? Are we storing it up? Are we keeping it inside? Or are we sharing Him? Are we making Him known? He, Jesus, is not dead, but alive. Revelation 1.18 says, I am He who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and have the keys to hell 
and death. Tonight, wherever you find yourself, I want to ask you, are you giving the remedy? Do you need the remedy? Do you know the remedy? If you find yourself in a confused state of mind or a place of panic, I want to introduce to you the remedy of it all. His name is Jesus Christ. I want to, if the singers and musicians, if you guys could come. I want you to make yourself an altar wherever it may be. It's your home, your car, out in the field. I, I don't know where you are. But make yourself an altar and seek his face. Ask him to search your heart. Because if there's ever a time that we needed to share the gospel, it's now. Our heart is that every tongue, every tribe, every nation will hear the gospel. Will you, will you share the remedy? Make yourself an altar and seek Him tonight. Where you are, wherever that may be, just take some time to seek His face tonight.
just Friday. Just Friday when Summer had called and said the young boy was running across. She knew something wasn't right. Jumped in her car and took off to find and she couldn't find him. He had disappeared. We were outside and sheriff's deputy come flying and slammed on his brakes, rolled down his window and asked if we'd seen a little boy. He said, my wife's seen him. And it was less than 10 minutes. I, I, I would estimate probably 20 plus different deputies there searching. Had out a, 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 a signal thing to track down the GPS bracelet this young boy, he was autistic, had to find him. Had a drone flying, trying to find him. Brought in a dog. Actually, we ended up knowing the guy, Officer Manns, Alan Manns, to track this young boy. What I'm getting at, that every resource they had available, they poured into for one boy. But the mindset of most people is it's not worth it. I was encouraged. Pastor Jordan Green called me from Pursuit Church. Jason, this is Jordan, man. I see where the boy's missing. We've got a lot of volunteers here right now. They're receiving food for the kids. Do we need to come help find them? If we exhaust everything we have for one, it's worth it. It's not about reaching the masses. It's one, one at a time. And if one soul is not important enough for you, then I don't know that you know the Jesus that I do. So why would you be, why would you be coming together in such a time as this? Because souls are at stake. Period. Just as the sheriff's department would exhaust every resource they had, to find the one lost boy. So shall Lakeside exhaust everything they've got to reach if it's just one. We love you guys. You have the remedy, Cheryl. Cheryl. Exhaust all means. If it's we live stream, we'll exhaust it. It's if, if it's we, we sit in the parking lot and preach to you and you're in cars, we're going to exhaust it. And whatever it takes, we are going to preach the gospel. Again, if you're watching, what is it, 810? Huh? That's easier to say. Text 81010 at my lakeside. When we say at my lakeside, we're talking about where like, you'd send the text to whoever. At the symbol at my lakeside. Text 81010. That way you can stay informed of what is going on at Lakeside Church. We're having service. We're not having service. We are having service, but we're having it outside. You need to be informed, especially right now. We will update daily on Facebook, social media. But this is an easy, quick way to stay informed. Text 81010 to at my lakeside. We love you guys. We will keep you informed of what is going on and what is taking place. Continue to pray for one another. Use wisdom. Be safe. Pray for this area, this community, the people. That God will he'll move and he's going to have his way. But we love you guys and we'll see you when we see you. Be blessed.